Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of This Week in App. I'm your host, John Azalon, and today we are going to push on to episode number five of our This Week in App uh, special edition, The Life of App, according to Fritz Light, and Fritz uh, is back with us for the fifth time. Fritz, welcome to the podcast, and again, thanks for joining us and enlightening the APA community on your history with the game company. Thank, thank you for having me once more, and I won't even comment on the pun. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know you'd catch it. Anyway, we, we also have, uh, as we have for the previous four episodes, uh, the current president of the APA game company, John Herson. John, as always, welcome. Thank you. Uh, glad you're here, Fritz. Uh, were you betting on the Eagles Sunday? Uh, I don't bet as a rule, but uh, my uh, my heart was broken and I'm still recovering. Yeah, that uh, I I really I when they were up ten at halftime, I thought it's going to be tough to, for the uh, uh, Chiefs to come back. And it, when when I saw uh, Mahomes go down, I I turned and I said, "Game over," because they'll they'll not be able to, to come back without him at 100. percent Boy, I'll tell you what. The guy just keeps on coming. So yeah, that, uh, that guy, that guy is a magician. He's yep. magnificent. Yeah. No, I was, I was sad more than anything else because this was, in all my six decades plus of rooting, this was, I think, without question, the best team the Eagles have had. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. so, Up and down, they had the best roster. That's but, for sure. Uh, you never know how the ball will bounce, and uh, Kansas City certainly grossly outplayed them in the second half. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yep. no doubt about it. All right, uh, let's uh, let's get started. As as everyone who has followed, boy, I'll tell you what, I've gotten some great response from the community out there about how much they've enjoyed this podcast, how much they have uh, learned so much more about the origins of the game company through you, Fritz, and, and we have we have you to to thank for. And uh, uh, and what we want to do today is kind of first thing I'm going to do is we've gone through your history with the game company uh, over 20 years and uh, would just want to give you the opportunity if you could give us a synopsis of what your career at the game company was like and uh, uh, just your thoughts about your years there. Well, I was I was fortunate to work there and fortunate to work uh, in a uh, if I can call it an industry that uh, uh, whose subject matter was something I was so interested in. Uh, it was a uh, uh, it was a privilege to work with Dick Seitz, uh, as uh, I think has been uh, uh, disclosed in some of the uh, prior episodes. We didn't always see eye to eye, but the uh, the man was a genius in game development uh, development, in my opinion, and I think uh, the uh, community in general would uh, certainly agree with me on that. Uh, it was a, uh, a privilege to have the opportunity to operate the company on my own for a relatively short period of time. And uh, uh, it was certainly uh, um, emotionally and professionally rewarding to be employed there. And uh, I was uh, I was lucky to have that happen. Well, certainly the game company uh, wouldn't be what it is today uh, without uh, your contribution to it. Of course, Dick Seitz as well, and now uh, being run by uh, the guy who has joined us, John Herson. And uh, what we talked about last time is we were going to ask uh, some of the uh, Apple folks out there if they had any questions uh, to forward to you uh, about your, your time at the game company. John, what are you doing? Nothing. I'm well, getting my questions. I'm getting my list of questions. Where are you going down to the basement to get them? Because it sounds like you're clogging downstairs. Come on, man. Sit still no, for a second. I, See, this is the I'm way ADD. I. This is the way I. <laughs> this is the way I don't usually talk to John like this, but sometimes he just has to be scolded because uh, uh, it's 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 annoying and distracting. Anyway, he's still going down the stairs. But John, I'm going to let you kick off the question and answer portion and. Uh, and Fritz, we, we promise not to ambush you with any 60-minute type questions. So, uh, John, whenever you're ready, fire away. All right. Let's, uh, the first question is an easy one, Fritz. Uh, 
who wrote the brochures? Was that Dick and you just updated them annually for, you know, changing the players for the previous season? Yeah. Uh, for the games that uh, existed at the time I started, which was most of them, uh, Dick had uh, originally drafted the brochures himself. Uh, they were changed uh, substantially year by year over the course of time so that they probably – what was there in 1972 probably wouldn't have been uh, recognizable by the late 80s. Uh, and I think that when, I think that when, for example, the football game was completely overhauled in 82 or 83, uh, there was a new brochure to accompany that. But uh, again, for the, uh, for the games which existed uh, when I began at the company, Dick had already put together brochures. And uh, for the most part, I just, edited them to uh, update them uh, from year to year. John, let me, let, let me stop you there. Was, was that question provided by Lonnie uh, Caravallo, do you know? Because I, I got that same question from Lonnie. And the fact is, is that uh, Lonnie studied graphic design at San Jose, State, uh, San Jose State University. And he said they were the best brochures he has ever seen. So that's that's pretty good from a guy who studied graphic design and uh, and uh, can really look at the copy and be impressed by it. So, certainly yeah, that, that's off. that's something. To, yeah, that's something to hear, and that that is uh, mostly uh, uh, credit to Dick Sites. Yeah. All right, John, but, keep going. But, uh, Prince, you, I assume that you did design the brochures for the uh, the uh, the pro and college basketball computer games, and. Weren't there some football game? Oh, well, uh, for any for any uh, for any software product, uh, you know, Dick wouldn't have been involved in that. <laughs> uh, yes, I uh, I think without uh, without exception, I would have done those. Although, um, when for example the uh, hockey games came out, I I probably would have had uh, uh, very substantial input from. Jim Connell to put those together uh, so that I didn't miss any of the uh, uh, most salient features. Uh, but other than that, uh, any any software product uh, certainly would have been mine. And any any product which was any board product which was developed uh, subject to my or uh, post my employment. Is there a hockey brochure? Because I've never seen one. You know, uh, now that you mention it, uh, you told me you weren't going to ambush me. Uh, <laughs> That's John, by the person. <laughs> person. I, I guess. I guess maybe there was not. There would have been. Ex we were doing catalogs at that point, so I guess it probably was just covered extensively in the catalog. I was thinking there was a brochure, but uh, you're probably right that there wasn't. So uh, there's mistake number one. No, I, I was just curious because I've never seen it, and I've been trying to. Uh get a complete copy of the mailings for our archives. So that's why I asked. I wasn't trying to set you up. Uh, I just do that to Asalon. Yeah, you do. Um, no, I don't think my answer was criminal anyway, so. <laughs> <laughs> Let us uh, determine that. <laughs> what is the oldest baseball card set you own? Uh... The first set I actually had purchased for me when the game was given to me as a gift was the 1952 season. Okay. However, in the APA archives, uh, I found uh, a few cards from 1950 and 1951. Hmm. Uh, so I don't have complete sets of those by any means, but uh, I do have a few cards from each of those seasons. And from 1952, I believe I lost uh, – in fact, I know I lost six or seven cards, something like that, out of the set. Given the fact that I was seven years old, that's not too bad. <laughs> I had, you put, I put them on your bike, yeah. I, no, I had put them in with my baseball cards. That is my uh, my baseball trading cards. Oh, okay. uh, and uh, uh, I should have hung on to both of them. I had <laughs> back in, if I can digress, I'm sure people would have heard of these, but. Uh, in uh, the very early 1950s, Red Man Tobacco uh, put a, a, a large, maybe four by four, mm -hmm. the size of a Red Man tobacco pouch, 
uh, one baseball card. And uh, nearly all the farmers where we lived chewed tobacco. And they also went to Russell Geist's combination restaurant, bar, grocery store, <laughs> and post office. All of that is true uh, to buy their chewing tobacco. And I was not allowed to go into Russell Geist's as a small child without my parents. It was about a mile down the road. But I was allowed to walk down there, when, and I would have been preschool at this point. I was allowed mm -hmm. to walk down there at the times when the farmers came in, lunchtime primarily, and I was allowed to stand outside and politely ask them if they wanted to keep their red man baseball card uh, or if they would give it to me, which in most cases uh, I got the card. I had a lot of those, and they're valuable. Uh, yeah. But uh, anyway, I threw the Apoc cards uh, at one point in with my trading cards, which I never traded. Uh, and uh, I think somewhere along the line, that's how I lost the cards. Because when I was 11 years old, I decided I'd outgrown trading cards. And I literally went out on the corner and gave them all away to my friends. So, hmm. no, yeah, I, I started chewing tobacco at five years old. I <laughs> know at 11. <laughs> I, I was yeah that was there there's a, there's a course of six years in there John. well you started getting the cards when you were a preschooler you gave the cards away when you're 11 so trading you know. trading cards i yeah i wasn't it yeah. wasn't until seven that i got the app <laughs> this question comes from uh jim in california um was there ever any thought to making uh, cards for minor league, minor league baseball or uh, any of the foreign league baseballs or college? Not much. It was Dick and I discussed that regarding the minor leagues anyway, uh, a couple of times, but not, not at any length. So it was never given any serious consideration. Okay. Uh, this came up at the convention last year a little bit. And this question comes from Roy in Maryland. Um, <laughs> what is your preference, single column or double column cards? Uh, I recounted my uh, World Series of the uh, 1952 last place teams and how it ended with a three-run homer. Uh, mm -hmm. That wouldn't have happened with a double column card. The drama would have been lost. And uh, so uh, I'll give you the same answer I gave at the convention. Yeah, I, I like single column cards just from a just from a playability standpoint. Now, yeah. why did Dick expand to double column? Just he thought it'd be more accurate. Yes, exactly. Okay. Yeah, yeah, definitely more. And, and, more and it was, of course, by four. Yeah. I uh, got a question. I, it, well, go ahead, John, and I'll, I'll throw in. No, go ahead. Well, I, uh, the, this question, and I got a series of them from uh, a guy named David Fish Warner, and uh, uh, we're going to go through some of these here. But uh, And we may have covered this. I think we covered part of this uh, during our previous four episodes. But uh, how were the – how was the number of 20 cards that were put uh, in each, for each team in each season, how was that chosen – and I think a question that is kind of interesting is how were the batting orders and lineup sheets decided on? Because you don't have the, the, uh, the uh, baseball research things and, and that type of, of uh, tool to go to. How were those made up? As, because, again, it went with most used lineup. I mean, was it actually calculated out? Uh, and, and again, also, how, how did you decide on 20, team, or 20 players per team? I can, I can answer the second part better than I can the first. I, I never really talked to Dick about how he arrived at 20, although if you go back to the early 1950s, 20, 20 did a pretty good job of covering the, uh, <laughs> the players who played significantly. Um, so I, I don't know. I think he, it was a round number. And uh, I, he, I know he liked round numbers. Uh, and uh, I think it was, I'm trying to think if it could have applied to uh, the printing of it, but the way the cards were printed initially, I don't believe it would have mattered. Um, because to begin with, they would, uh, all the Jackie Robinsons were printed separately and all the Mickey Mantles were printed separately mm -hmm. and uh, all the Robin Roberts's were printed separately. So I don't think it would have mattered. So I can't really answer that question. As to the uh, lineups, the uh, uh, the lineups were chosen from, and I believe 
I believe we would start in June, the months of June, July, and August, uh, after the uh, uh, after the early season rosters had been kind of uh, uh, finalized, and before the September call-ups, uh, we would record uh, every day's lineup uh, mm-hmm. on graph paper. You would list all the uh, all the players. And uh, then what spot they batted in the batting the batting order on uh, June one, June two, uh, right through August thirty one, huh. and then you would uh, do the best you could from there. It didn't always work out perfectly, but uh, that's that's how that was done, and that was probably about as scientifically as it could be done in those days. Sure, yeah, yeah. that's interesting. I didn't know that. All right, John, what else you got? This is from Steve R. in uh, Tennessee. Fritz, he wants to know what was the the good points of being a licensee with the professional leagues? What was the worst part of being a licensee with the professional leagues? Uh, The worst, I'll start with the worst part. And that that wasn't... uh, that wasn't really the uh, the fear of having to pay the fees that we had. the uh, The greatest uh, negative was the the, the fear that uh, somehow the players' association uh, would put us out of business, either through a refusal to renew uh, because uh, they had uh, uh, a better opportunity, perhaps an exclusive elsewhere. Um, so it, it was it was always in the back of uh, uh, my mind anyway, not so much Dix. He, he didn't worry quite so much about that, but it was always in the back of my mind that the uh, the MLBPA and the NFLPA, for that matter, had uh, uh, had the power to put us out of business if they chose to. That was the negative, the biggest negative. The, the positive was was just having the right to use the names. Uh, and uh, there were probably uh, marketing opportunities that we could have used uh, if we had worked at it in conjunction with the associations, and we never did that. Uh, the uh, the value of uh, using the names was was lessened when you got into the '90s, and certain players opted out of the uh, the MLBPA's. Uh, group licensing contract, and we couldn't put names like Barry Bonds on the cards. Um, so the, uh, I, I would say the benefit, uh, while uh, the uh, while the players associations had the uh, the power to impose the, uh, uh, I think it's probably the right word, impose the contracts that they were able to impose in those days on us. Uh, the, the only plus was uh, <laughs> was being able to continue uh, making and selling what you mm-hmm. were making and selling. And to me, the the uh, the biggest negative was the uh, the fear that things would get worse or uh, become catastrophic. I have a couple follow up questions to that. Number one, um, I would think that the uh, professional teams. And I'm sure they did probably look at the product and say, you know, who is this that's using our names and and what are they using it for and and how does it all work? And I I would think that they probably looked at the quality of the product and felt like, well, you know what, if this can promote our sport, we're happy to have them be a part of it. I mean, that would be one thing. I think if you're putting out a crap product or doing something that uh put the the sport into a bad light they wouldn't have allowed that to happen um dick told me and i don't recall seeing this uh, and it wouldn't have come from the players association or the baseball players association because the baseball players very little power influence back in the uh back in the 50s but he had correspondence he said from uh, uh major league baseball thanking him for putting out a product that promoted baseball. Yeah. Which yeah. in a logical world to me is the way things ought to work. They should work like that. But exactly. It didn't work like that forever. Yeah. Uh, Fritz, this is from Mike in California. And his question is in the same thing with licensing. 
And his question is, is it true that Abbott was the first licensee of the Major League Baseball Players Association? I don't think so. Hal Richmond once told me Stratomatic was the first. If that's true, then Abbott was the second. Uh, I, I don't know for a fact that Hal was right, but I, I believe that uh, that he probably was. I don't think he would have told me that if it weren't true. So I believe Abbott was the second and Stratomatic the first. We were approached at approximately the same time, both companies. I know that. Hmm. So did you ever meet Marvin Miller as part of the No, uh, I never did. No, I, right. I never I never met anyone who was uh, high up in the uh, Players Association. I, I, I have another question about that. You said, you know, and obviously I know a lot of us remember this, uh, for players that uh, opted out of that agreement. Um, and you did have to put the phony names on the cards. What was your criteria of doing that? Because I know a lot of times the names that you you put on the cards kind of gave a hint to who the player was. Who was the guy, and I'm sure it might have been even more than one, uh, that came up with those names? And the second part of that is, did you ever hear from a player that kind of got the hint of what was going on and said, hey, I don't like that name? <laughs> I mean, how, how did that all come about? It may surprise you to know I don't even remember doing that. And probably, in spite of my answer, it was probably me who put those names together. Uh, it might have been in combination with Dick. There might have been input from Skeet. I, I'm not sure. I, I don't even remember doing it. No, uh, to my knowledge, we never heard from uh, from a player. Uh, but did you remember those names, John, or even uh, uh, you, Fritz, about how they kind of hinted towards who the player was? I can't I, I, think of any offhand. Uh, no, the only one I remember. Me on that. The only one I remember is a pitcher where his last name was Nina, N-I-N-A, mm -hmm. and he was from Nina, Wisconsin, which is where we were living at the time. But Nina, Wisconsin, spelled N-E-E-N-A-H. Ah. That's the only one I remember. Um, <laughs> clever, clever. No, I don't. I don't remember that at all. Sorry, Fritz. This is a question from uh, Greg in Pennsylvania. Why did the did ABBA move away from American League and National League to uh, senior, junior, and senior circuit? And why did they stop putting the team nicknames on the envelopes? Major League Baseball uh, sent us a threatening letter, and uh, <laughs> we were uh, uh, impinging upon their intellectual property rights, and uh, we had no uh, no real choice but to go in the direction we did. Now, you could have there are alternatives to using senior circuit and junior circuit, but we uh, we were uh, specifically prohibited from using the uh, team nicknames and from using National and American League. It's kind of like so. How like long was it. that after the letter saying from MLB saying it's great that you're doing this? Anything for baseball is good. <laughs> probably, probably on the order of. 30 years. Oh, okay. All right. So. It's kind of like saying you can't use, say, the Super Bowl. You got to say the big game. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> uh, let me ask you a question while we're on cards for a little bit. Um, what was the thinking of, or, or how did you des de decide to develop a Herb Washington, uh, Herb Washington card from the 1974 season? Here's a guy that only pinch ran. Uh, what, was there any discussion? Do you remember any discussion about that? You were very early on in the company, but it was probably something that you would have remembered had it happened. Yeah, I, I don't remember exactly how we decided what to do, but I talked to Dick about that, and we were uh, we were not happy to be in a position of uh, making a, a baseball card for a non-baseball player. <laughs> a, guy yeah. who, a guy who admittedly didn't even know the rules of the game. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, uh, he was, uh, uh, was a big enough part of the team in what, 1974, I guess it was, uh, yeah, 74, yeah. 74, uh, mm -hmm. that, uh, he couldn't, he couldn't just be ignored. Right. Uh, so, um, I, I can't remember exactly how we decided what to do, but, uh, that was, I know Dick and I discussed that, uh, for probably more time than it was worth. Yeah, and, and I, John, I know you can relate to that because of the Otani situation. Uh, and I know that we've gone around with that, not so much you and I, but uh, uh, the APA community has talked about that uh, ad nauseum, haven't they? 
Yeah, I mean, we still get, you know, we get questions about it. I, the issue with us is, you know, with cards and dice, it's you can do whatever you want to sure. do. So yeah. all these rule changes, you play super com- commissioner, decide if you're going to play them or not. Yeah. Uh, the challenge with, you know, putting these new rules into BBW it, it is, you know, it's, it's, it's millions and millions of lines of code. And what you know affects one thing, there's going to be an un, there's going to be a consequence to a different part of the game, right. managers announcing whatever that you never think of. So right. it's it's like a a, a planet sized beanbag and trying to get it. And you know we've been very careful, but you know when it was designed and the parameters were set up in 1980s, whenever it only it only called for nine positions. Yeah. And a DH and a DH was not treated as a position, which yeah. then goes into how aim affects it and everything else. So it's a real challenge for us <coughs> just because of the size and the robustness of BBW to, to yeah. make those changes. Uh, but Fritz, I was going to ask you, what do you think about the new changes coming in the game? MLB. I don't think there's enough attention being given to this increase in the size of the bases. Mm-hmm. It, um, how much I'm trying to remember how much larger they are, but it three, three inches, yeah, I think a little over three inches, right? It's, yeah. it's, so, it's so a, uh, a base runner presumably gets an extra three inches in his lead off first and an extra three inches at second base. Um, and on top of that, now they're wearing mittens, which give you about another 12 inches. <laughs> Uh, and it makes difference. Uh, yeah. uh, Red Smith once wrote that uh, 90 feet between bases was the, the uh, closest a human being has ever come to perfection. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, uh, I, think it, I think it's a big deal to give away another six inches, uh, especially when the pitchers are prohibited from uh, throwing to first more than twice. Um, so, yeah, and, I, and, I, and then they're going to enforce the balk rule apparently uh, more uh, stringently <laughs> this year. Yeah. So, you as, think they want to get back to stealing? I don't know. I'm going to ask that question. As a as a purist, uh, I think you ought to be able to position uh, everybody but the catcher down the right field line if you choose. Right. Mm-hmm. But uh, practically speaking, uh, these shifts have certainly had a, a negative effect on the game and uh, lessen the number of uh, uh, singles that you get. And uh, I think, I, I, I hate to say it, but I'm, I'm in favor of that change. I'm not in favor of uh, enlarging the bases, but I am in favor of, uh, uh, in for, of uh, preventing the, uh, the extreme shifts that we've seen over the course of the last 10 years or so. What do you think about the uh, the rules on when you can put a position player in the game as a pitcher? You know, uh, um, <laughs> I don't really care. It's, I think it has, has so little impact on the game, uh, on on the winning and losing of, of any game that I, I don't I don't really have uh, any strong feelings about that one way or the other. But you know, uh, when you think about it, and and maybe it's just me, and maybe I got it all wrong, but you know, the extra inning rule. Okay, after the 10th inning, we put a runner at second base. Why? Well, we don't want the long extended games. But why don't you want those long extended games? Because it really maxes, uh, uh, maxes out pitching, rota- or pitching staffs. So isn't that kind of contradictory when you say you can't use a position player and you're coming up with and, – and it's really kind of off the wall, 10 runs up, 9 runs up, whatever it is before you can bring in – but doesn't isn't that used to kind of save your pitching staff? So that seems contradictory to me. Well, I'm going to go into my cranky old man phase, and I hadn't commented on the uh, um, the ghost runners in action. Yes. Uh, but why? Why can't you survive any number of games and any number of innings when you have 13 or 14 pitchers on your staff? And and now you do. You're right. It's preposterous. (laughs) Uh, 
I just I still can't understand why in the 1960s guys could pitch 300 innings a year on three days rest. And now if you pitch 200 on four days rest, you're a Superman. I just, uh, yeah. I don't get it. Yeah. Yeah. So especially with the improvement in conditioning and, you know, the, the study of, of muscle structure and, you know, nutrition. I mean, back in the day, those guys were, you know, throwing 300 pitches, smoking a pack of cigarettes a day and who knows how much, how many beers they were having. And they went out there. And I well, know people say, well, these assets cost more and we have to nurture them. Mm. Uh, but it seems to me there's a big difference between, you know, the number one pitcher on most stats and the number five. Yeah, you know, uh, yeah there, there always to... was, although it was only one through four. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's well, anyway, and I think I, I think it's... I don't like the uh, I don't like the ghost runner. Uh, I think that. Uh, you ought to be able to plan a 13 or 14 man pitching staff uh, in such a way that uh, you ought to see a be able to manage a a 20 inning game once a year uh, or a 16 inning game twice a year. And I, I find I find uh, extra innings dramatic, and I think every every baseball fan does. And if you if you're playing 13 instead of 10 because you didn't have a ghost runner so much the better and and you know they 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 tend to, to say their their excuses oh we want to bring the the younger people into it which is true i get that but i think the players union has a lot to say about these things about special specialization and pitching about how many players are on rosters uh and how many how many innings that you might have to play because oh you know these players get tired remember back in the day when there would be maybe 20 double headers in a season per team. Yep. Non-existent anymore. You can't play two games in the same day. Come on. Well, talking, so, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, that was it. That was my, my rant. Talking, <laughs> talking about bringing young people in, uh, in my view, the way to do that is to shorten the games. And I neglected to comment on the most important rule change. And that is the time between pitches. If they enforce that, that will certainly improve the game. If that is truly enforced, uh, it will be a great improvement because there is no reason in the world why any nine-inning baseball game uh, should uh, should last more than two and a half hours. Uh, make make an exception for a game that winds up 14 to 12 once in a while. But other than that, when I was a kid, you could consistently count on a game running between two hours and two hours and 15 minutes. And yep. there's no reason why they should take any longer than that. Uh, and uh, if that is enforced, that will, uh, uh, I think, remove the uh, the stigma of baseball being uh, boring, which at many times it is to me. And I, I would never have imagined that I could possibly say that. But the games, the games are just interminable at times, uh, with no reason. And if if the uh, if the time between pitches rule is enforced, that will be a great improvement and uh, to me should negate the uh, necessity, if you're going to call it a necessity, of using ghost runners in extra innings. Well, the other thing that they could do is, you know, these three-minute commercial breaks between half innings, where it used to be a one minute of ads, now it's three minutes of ads. Yeah, And I that's know. all for the revenue. Yeah, you know? I but know. if you're that, in the that, stadium, that... you know, you're like, what's you know, what are we waiting for? Yeah. We're on the out in the field. Pitchers warmed up. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's most noticeable at a, at a pro football game. I, oh, I yes. Go to pro yes. football games so often. But it, it seems like half the game, you're just uh, waiting for the referee to signal that you can start play again. You don't notice it so much when you're watching the commercials at home. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, the, at Lambeau, several times there were miserable games. And then you really notice those commercials. You, you know, it's like, come on, let's get out of here. Yeah, no doubt, no yeah. doubt. Put it on, put it on five minute delay. Money talks. <laughs> that, well, yeah, they, yeah money. the commercials, the commercials aren't going away, and I guess I shouldn't complain because I'm very happy to be able to watch any game I want anytime. That way, you couldn't do that in the fifties either. So right. Well, yeah. talking about money, what? What is your react? This isn't ABBA related, but it's baseball related, and, and we never stay on topic. Um, you don't to to the news <laughs> that uh, the major regional sports network will probably be in bankruptcy within thirty days. Yeah, 
You know, I'm not, I'm not qualified to comment. I just read a headline on that yesterday, and I scanned the, uh, the story, but I really, uh, I really don't know what all the implications are. Well, Manford is saying that if they don't, that if 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 uh, it's Diamond Sports, I believe, if they're not producing games or televising, excuse me, televising games. Manfred says MLB can do it both, you know, television and streaming. Uh, you know, I thought they tried that experiment what, 30 years ago, you know, where they had the Saturday night game of the week mm-hmm. with all these different announcers and whatever. And that didn't work very well. Just curious as to what will happen because you, you know, those teams have budgeted for that TV money. Well, TV money is big. I mean, that's a huge chunk of of the revenues that these teams make. And uh, and, and I, I'm kind of like Fritz. I'm not really up on what this is all about because I don't have cable anymore, and, and I, I got rid of my MLB. Um, but when I did have MLB, uh, you could go in and choose any game. Is that going to still be available? Sounds like it is from what you just said. I don't. There's. I've always had MLB since I moved out of the Philadelphia area. I've had MLB extra innings. Yeah, which mm-hmm. gives you every game except what they consider local, which local is maybe right. 200 miles or so. Right. Uh, but uh, uh, I know there's MLB TV also. I have not had that, uh, mm-hmm. but uh, uh, I'm thinking of getting that this year instead of the extra innings. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I think there's going to be a lot of a lot of things to be decided between now and opening day because uh, it seems a lot of people are concerned about it, and it keeps coming up more and more in the media. So we'll find out, I'm sure. Yes, we will. But it'll be curious what 2023 looks like because yesterday in the Athletic, uh, one of the baseball columnists who's well-known, I forgot his name, uh, had a story about how the 2023 season, they're going to start enforcing these rules the first uh, day of exhibition games. And he quoted a handful of uh, major league executives who, who basically said, and pardon my French, it's going to be a shit show for 60 days or so. Mm. Uh, what, why would you put that on your fans? You know what? What? <clears throat> Why does Major League see. Baseball do a lot of things? But yeah, yeah, Major League Baseball doesn't have a history of uh, <laughs> of uh, excellent performance, shall we say? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, they yeah. throw it up against the wall and see what sticks. More like is what their their strategy is. But uh, uh, I, I got another APA related question, and uh, sorry to get off our our topic, but because I, I, I do love that, I, I love kind of going on topic occasionally, but. Um, Whose idea was it, Fritz, if you even know, uh, the decision to put the players who finished the season, in other words, if a player started the year on one club, got traded, and was on that team, on a different team at the end of the year, do you remember how that decision uh, yeah, that was, was made? That, that was mine. I finally I finally persuaded Dick to go in that direction. Oh, which okay. I was, which I thought was the right no, the, the, pardon me, the decision to put a, a, a player on the team that he concluded the season with mm-hmm. uh, was true from the beginning, except yeah. that many players who uh, were traded in the late season then were uh, eliminated altogether. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what I had changed. If you had a, uh, a Matty Alou, I think was one case, who had, say, 500 at-bats with somebody and then got traded uh, August 31st. Uh-huh. And, 40 at bats with a new team. Um, we we continued to put them with the team they finished with, uh, but uh, we didn't exclude players who would otherwise, obviously, have uh, uh, been part of one team or another. I see. Um, we, we left it up to players who were replaying to put the player with the right team for the right period of time. Yeah. Okay. And 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 what was? Do you remember what the criteria cutoff was for a player to be one? of the 20 or just did it depend on the team and yeah and- yeah it depended on the team if you had uh, uh like for the early 50s dodgers you might have uh, uh nine players who played almost all the innings uh yeah. during the mm-hmm. course of a year so uh you might have been uh, the, the 20th player on the dodgers with uh, with 50 at bats 
with another mm-hmm. team, maybe you needed uh, 150 at bats to be among the top 20. Yeah. Yeah. I remember one year, and I think it was 64, um, if I'm not mistaken. But wasn't that the year Bobolinski didn't get a card? Uh, he was suspended like in August for punching a, a sports reporter and somehow did not end up on the uh, Angels. And I'm not sure if it was 64 or not, because I got the current, I got the updated set, and he's obviously in there. But And that was before your time, Fritz, and a certain yeah, I don't, I don't remember that controversy. I remember he pitched his, his no-hitter in 62, and he yeah. was with the Phillies in 65 or 66. Five. Yeah, 65 and 56. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't remember that uh, that event uh, yeah. or that omission. Yeah. yeah. Well, I John. remember when he threw out at he was supposedly at Frank Sinatra's house and they're playing pool and Sinatra grabbed a stick or something. So when it was Sinatra's team to uh, turn to shoot, Blinsky took a log out of the fire raging fire and threw it on the table. Now, now, John, we've done this before, but Joe Pepitone claims that was him, not Bo Blinsky who did it. And Joe Pepitone's book. Uh, you could have made us proud, Joe. That's the name of his book. He claims he was the one that did that. So there's some discrepancy there between whether it was Bo, who was crazy in his own right, and uh, Joe Pepitone, which certainly had the credentials. Uh, Anybody who's going to mess with Frank Sinatra <laughs> probably wasn't playing with a full deck. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, for a while, Bo had the dame, right? He had the babe. Uh, he in did. In 64, John. Yes. Uh, Belinsky was with the Angels, 23 games, 22 starts, 9-8 and eight with a 286 ERA right. in 135 innings. Right. And I'm wondering uh, what year it was, though, because somebody told me that he was not part of the card set in a particular year. And I couldn't I, I couldn't imagine it would be 64 because he was he threw 135 innings, I think it was. But uh, nonetheless, it was some kind of discrepancy to where he didn't get. He, he didn't get a card, and I'm not sure what year that was, when he actually picked significant innings. But I'll have well, to Well, 63 that. with the Dodgers, uh, 13 starts, yeah. 76 in- innings, 2-9 and nine record. Yeah, yeah. You know, so yeah, I don't know. Might, I, I'll, yeah. Look, I'll look into that a little bit further try to try to. Everybody's waiting with breathless feet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He was with the 63 Dodgers? No, Angels. No, Angels, Angels oh. yeah. Yeah. We said Dodgers. I was going to say no. the Dodgers at a left-hander was a little better. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> a little bit better. Uh, John, what, do you, what else you got? Any more questions on that side? Uh, sorry. Yeah, John from Georgia wants to know, uh, whose idea was the hockey game? Was that um, Spritz or was it, you know, uh, Dick's or what was the thinking behind that? It, it was my decision to go ahead with it. And that was largely because I developed a lot of confidence in Jim Connell in a short time. Dick and I had talked about a hockey game and he had never been, uh, I think for good reason, entirely satisfied with the basketball game. And he was reluctant to, uh, to try to do another continuous action game, especially one in which there was far less basketball. Mm-hmm. So uh, that was, we discussed that several different times, but uh, uh, never, with a, never with a positive outcome. And uh, uh, without, without Jim, I don't, think, uh, I don't think it ever would have happened. Now, was that design in-house or you started to design it and then you somehow found out about Jim or how did that work? Uh, I, I think, no, we didn't have any kind of prototype or even uh, uh, really anything to start with. I told Jim I wanted to follow the, uh, obviously, the uh, the AppBot dice principles mm-hmm. and make it yep. as similar as he could to uh, other AppBot games. And uh, that was uh, that was his, that was about all there was to his commission. He did the rest. This is from uh, John in Missouri, um, and he thinks it may be passed uh, after you had left ABBA, but he wants to know what you thought about the Superstar games. Uh, yeah, that's that's post my time. Okay, all right. 
sorry, I don't, don't have any answer to that. What else do you have, John? I think that just about wraps it up on the questions from my end. Um, I, uh, uh, I, I think we've just about covered uh, as much as we could possibly cover. Um, and uh, uh, Fritz, was there anything that you think you might have left on the table or, or wanted to comment on? Before? No, I, I'd just like to thank both of you uh, very sincerely for the opportunity to uh, uh, discuss my time there, to uh, delve into the past, to jog my memory a bit, at least in some cases. And uh, uh, it's been... Uh, it's been a real pleasure for me, and uh, I, I thank both of you very much. Well, it's our pleasure, but I hope we can still uh, do some more shows with you. Sure. Uh, I'd like to do you. one with you and Skeet, kind of taking the community through, you know, uh, uh, creating a baseball season set. You know, how do you decide whatever? Uh, and uh, so maybe in two weeks we'll try to do that uh, before Skeet goes down to spring training to try out through the Phillies for the 50th time. Uh, <laughs> and I would love to hear stories about the other games, you know, for it's why you made this decision or yeah. you know, especially like, like the, the football game makeover uh, in 82, where, you know, you basically kind of walked away from what it, you had done for 15 years or whatever products to a brand new game where, you know, the old cards didn't work very well with them. Uh, yeah, that was that was, in my view, uh, an absolute necessity because the game itself had changed so much. The uh, okay. the game that had been developed uh, in 1958 didn't uh, didn't reflect the way pro football was played in the early 1980s, and and the terminology didn't even fit anymore. Mm -hmm. The penalties weren't the same. The uh, the position designations weren't the same. Uh, nearly, almost nothing was the same. I mean, it's uh, uh, when uh, in the late fifties is barely recognizable compared to football in the uh, the early eighties. Oh yeah, especially now. Well, we'll get into more detail with that if if you still you know we'll see how the next show goes. And at some point, you're probably going to say, "I've had enough torture." You guys pick out somebody else. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, been, I, I, wasn't, uh, I wasn't misleading him when I said this has been fun, and I look forward to doing it again. Oh, uh, we, we, uh, all thanks go out to you, Fritz, and, and to go back in time and, and really enlighten the, the community, not just John and I, but the community as a whole. I mean, if you could see all the responses I got in about how much uh, this uh, series has generated interest and uh, a knowledge of the history of the game company. It has been incredible uh, uh, seeing the feedback that I've gotten about it. And uh, our hats off to you for, for helping us with that. And boy, I would like to have at least one show with you and Skeet, because that'll be a lot of fun. No, I'd, I'd be pleased. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm personally, I'm personally thrilled that uh, people are still so interested in what happened so long ago. Yeah, it's incredible. It, it really is. The the feedback has been uh, has been amazing, and and uh, and a lot of that, uh, most of that goes out to you. Um, one one more thing before we go and we shut this down. Um, I got you know I was asking for questions and I was getting a lot of uh, DMs and and a lot of email and uh, I did get one uh, about our good friend of the community George Hines. I don't know if everybody knows George, but. Uh, I've known him for a while. Uh, in fact, a few years ago, he, he called up, he was in the area and, uh, he and his girlfriend, Heidi and I all met for lunch and just a great guy, a lover of the app game. Uh, he, he plays it consistently. And I, I got a, I got a note from, from Heidi saying that, uh, uh, George is having some uh, health issues. Uh, he worked till he was 76 years old. She kept telling him to retire, but he kept going. And finally, he just couldn't do it anymore because of his health. And he is—he—he uh, he had spent some hospital time, and he's recovering now and and getting better. But I just wanted to uh, make sure the community that knows George, if you have his number or his email, drop him a line. Let him know that you're thinking about him. I certainly want to, and I'm going to call there. Uh, and talk to him in a little bit, but our best goes out to George Hines. And 
I know you know him, John. You've met him before, I believe, mm-hmm. and yeah, uh, yeah. just just Good just a, just a great guy. And again, it just exemplifies the Alpha community, uh, and uh, certainly we we want to keep him in our thoughts and prayers. Um, other than that, I think that'll wrap it up, Fritz. I've said it many times. I'll say it again. Thank you so much. We appreciate your time. Uh, we're going to try to get it together at least one more time. We'll get a hold of Skeet and, and we'll get to you and let you know when that's going to happen. Uh, John Herson, as always, great contribution. We appreciate what you do on a daily basis. Anything, any last words from you two great gentlemen? No, I, uh, I, look, I look forward to uh, further involvement, whatever it is. And I will keep you updated on the Phillies 1964 March to the Pennant. Yeah, are, please do. Still big lead. <laughs> Fritz, um, all I have to say is what Tina, Tina Turner says. Oh, You're boy. the best. <laughs> You're simply the best. And uh, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you taking the time to share with all of us your tenure with ABBA. Well, it's been great. I it's really been appreciate great getting it. to know you, John, and it's been my pleasure, and I look forward to more of it. All right, so that's going to wrap it up here. Uh, again, thanks to uh, John Herson and Fritz Light, and hope that you can uh, come back and uh, see us all again on our next episode of This Week in App. Until then, I'm John Aslan saying so long, and thanks for listening, and roll 66s whenever you can. Take care, everybody. And welcome back to another edition of This Week in APA. We got a good guest this week. It is a gentleman by the name of David Macias. Now, David's been playing APA since he's been 19 years old. He plays in one of the long-existing leagues amongst APA leagues, the Down Under Baseball League. And David's going to talk to us a little bit about that, how he got involved in APA. And David also has a very interesting career and the business that he runs. I'm going to let him tell you all about that. So uh, sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with APA player David Macias. Now, before I go on, I have to say that some of the content may be shocking and disturbing to the APA community, and mainly because David kind of calls the APA game company APBA. I'm just saying. I wanted to warn you, get that out of the way so you just don't fall over or shut off the podcast. Just bear with it and uh, know that that's just the way he refers to the game. So I just wanted to get that out there. So, again, without any further ado, let's talk with David Macias.